Calling Jesus our master does not make it so. No more than uh, saying we believe in God, therefore I'm a Christian. Words do not make reality. It comes from what pours out of the heart. I love what Keith Green used to say. Because you go to McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. I mean, just because you show up, just because you're part of, doesn't mean the change has taken place. Here it comes. listening to A Word with God. My name is Marco, and I'm here with Pastor Stan Starkey. Stan, when you were a kid just a few years back, did you ever have those mercy fights with your friends? You know, when you kind of grasp one another in the fingers and you're like trying to twist and bend. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. And when your friend said mercy, did you actually let go or did you keep kind of giving it to I let go. Well, that's good. That's good because today we are going to find out that much like you, Stan, our God is a merciful one. And uh, I just want you to open up your Bibles to the sixth chapter of Luke. And Stan, are you ready to get started? I am ready. Are you? Indeed, I am. Summary of the teaching, verses 35 to 39. He starts to bring it together here. But, however, here's what's on God's heart. Love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. The ability to pay back is not come into question here. The ability to reciprocate is, is, is ignored. And your reward, your fruit, your interest, another financial term. Your interest will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. Why? Why does that identify me as a son or daughter of God? For, okay, he's going to answer this. For, because he himself is kind. We're kind there, not harsh, but benevolent. He is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Okay, Mark, this is in the nominative case. And when it's in the nominative case like that, it's talking about groups and classes of people. That's Luke's way of saying all mankind is like this. Not that there's good people and not good people and his kindness only goes to the bad. It's, it's the idea that there's a whole class of humanity finds themselves in this position of being ungrateful and evil. Outside of Jesus coming into your life, outside of Jesus changing you and putting a new nature inside of you, you are, are done like dinner. You fit that category. Ungrateful. Evil. Therefore, this implied this, therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge. Don't give your opinion. Don't, don't ponder and and concoct an idea, and you will not be judged. Idea of dealing with truth, truth and love. That's what we learned in Ephesians. Do not, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, lay a charge, and you will not be condemned. We're not talking of evaluating actions. We're talking of motives and intent and, and condemning a person. Say, so I know why you did that. I know what you meant when you said that. 
I'm going to tell everybody what kind of a person. No, no. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardoned and you will be pardoned. Pardon there means to be set free. It's the idea of forgiveness. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Why? Why is this important? For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Two points. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to be like the Father. As we enter our world, Jesus has a particular way in mind for us to enter in. It's rooted in our new nature. And he's just defined that for us. He's just given us a clear picture of what that new nature is to be like. Secondly, there's a direct correlation between how we enter our world and how we are received by the world, but even more importantly, by the Father. If there's no new nature when you are out in the world, then you share their fate. If there's no new nature, if there's no difference between you and the people in the world, that would be evidence that God's that new nature that he's promised to put in every true believer, that it's not operating in your life. And if the new nature is not operating in your life, you are like them, Jesus is saying, and you will share their fate. Those are hard words. I don't like those words. They grate me. I resist them. But they're God's words. It reminds me a lot of Solomon's teaching in Ecclesiastes that we were looking at last year. He's got some illustrations next, 39 to 45. And he also spoke a parable to them. It's actually four parts, this story. Illustration number one. A blind man can't guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? He's saying, if, if you're in the same condition as the person around you, you both are doomed. Okay? Illustration number two. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. He's saying if Jesus is your teacher, you will be like him. If you're not like him, then he's not your teacher, not your rabbi. Making no difference in your life. Illustration number three. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log, beam, is that, really a word means beam, that's in your own eye? You hypocrite, you play actor, you're, you're, you're giving the impression you're something that you're not, you're acting, you're playing at being a follower of Jesus. You're not the real thing. You're pretending. First take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Put down here, if you are both blind, even if you act like you can see, you are both blind. A number of thoughts here. If there's been no change in my life, then I have not come in contact with the real Jesus. If there's no change in your life, you have not come in contact with the real Jesus. Number two, if I have not come into contact with the real Jesus, then I can't pass on to others what has not happened to me. I can tell them about Jesus, but I can't testify what he's done in my life. Number three, this is hard to hear. 
it is offensive to God to walk around pretending that I've changed when in fact nothing has changed. I tell you people catch that so quick. Our kids get it. The people around us get it. And the church of Jesus Christ is anathema, is a stigma, is a stench in the nostrils to non-Christians when you and I walk around pretending and the real thing hasn't taken place. To be critical of another person's change process when I myself have not changed is hypocrisy. And then finally, only after a real change experience with Jesus am I equipped to be a part of my brother's or sister's life. He moves to illustration number four. Four, because there is no good, that means good by nature. There's no good tree which produces bad fruit. That means not fit for any use. That's putrid. It means like, like we talked before, it's like the bushel of peaches and you, you eat them first and then the next round you can them and the mushy, goopy ones, you cut the goop out and you make jam out of it. At least any self-respecting person makes peach jam because peach jam is probably the second best jam there is. No, okay. For there is no good by nature tree that produces bad fruit. If you have the new nature, you'll produce good fruit, is what Jesus is saying. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree, that's by nature, which produces good fruit. Doesn't happen. If you don't have the new nature, the fruit isn't usable. What God wants to do in your life, like if you don't have the new nature, what you're doing, I mean, you may be doing good things, but it's not usable by God. For each tree is known, is identified by its own fruit. For, because men do not gather figs from thorns. He gives us some examples here. No, I don't get figs from a thorn tree. Nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. No, I just get stickers from a briar bush. He comes to a conclusion here. The good man, God's definition of good, not my definition of good, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. Some thoughts here. Given time, what is inside will always work itself out. If you notice that about a sliver in your finger, it goes in, it swells, it gets sore, it gets tender to the touch, and then all of a sudden it does that with the goopy, ugly-looking stuff, and the sliver is expelled from the body. I love what James McDonald says, truth and time walk hand in hand. Truth and time walk hand in hand. What's inside will eventually work its way outside, and you will not be able to fool everybody for long. Secondly, this is the conclusion to the sowing and reaping principle. This is like the full-blown, let me explain the sowing and reaping principle to you. That's what Jesus has done here. And finally, this identifies the two natures that are at work in our world. One is rooted in God and the other is rooted in Satan. There are two natures at work. You either have one or the other. Let me rephrase that. You are either controlled by one or the other. I know some of you are thinking, I'd like to go to Evangel, but what do I do with my kids? Well, I'm happy to announce that we have a children's program. It runs from 10.30 to 12, just like the worship and service that we have. And there are songs, drama, teaching activities, and an enthusiastic bunch of leaders. So bring the kids along. We'll see you there. 
Marco, what are you doing this summer? I would like to relax, spend some time with friends, and well, grow closer to God. We've got something way better than relaxing. It's kind of like growing closer to God, but it's growing vegetables. My goodness. Tell me about it. Evangel Community Church is growing a organic garden. Do you know what an organic garden is? Healthy? Yeah, it doesn't have any bug sprays and weed sprays, all that stuff that kind of makes your brain go to mush. Hmm. It's not healthy or it's not good for you. That's what my son tells me anyway. Well, we have a whole crop of corn, potatoes, peas, beans, tomatoes, and peppers that we're growing that the proceeds will go to Columbia to put a roof on our community center, help feed kids, do all kinds of good things down in the city of Popayan. I also hear some of the proceeds might go to Africa as well. Is that true? Burkina Faso. That's absolutely right. So if you are listening and you eat food, we are asking you to contact us at info at evangelcommunity.com and we would be glad to get back to you about how you can share in this with us by having great food in Canada and helping the children in Colombia and Africa. Application verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Master? Why do you call me Messiah, Christ? You can put any of the titles in there that declare that Jesus is your Master. And do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's going to give us a parable here, another story. He's going to illustrate for us. He, the one who obeys, is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But he's going to contrast here. To the first man, the man who does, he's going to contrast a second man. The one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. Is that a good plan, Dan? No, not a good plan. No foundation, not a good plan. Don't do that. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the rain, or sorry, the ruin of the house was great. That word great there means complete. Picture Haiti right now, and a building totally demolished. Our thoughts here. Calling Jesus our master does not make it so. No more than uh, saying we believe in God, therefore I'm a Christian. Words do not make reality. It comes from what pours out of the heart. I love what Keith Green used to say. Because you go to McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. I mean, just because you show up, just because you're part of doesn't mean the change has taken place. Dealing with parables and stories. Okay, I want to give a little outline here. When you run into a parable, when you run into these stories, here's some things to keep in mind. Number one, it's essential to find the point of the story or parable. That's what it's there for. There's a point to it that fits the context. Number two, it's almost always stated or the implications really clear. You don't have to, Jesus' parables, you don't have to hunt around and go, what's he talking about? There was a few times that happened 
But as soon as he made it clear what, it, you know, his disciples were kind of snoozing, it was hot, you know, they were, they were kind of under a tree and he was teaching and they missed a couple of things and they go, huh? What are you talking about? And then he'd come over here and he'd go over it with them. Once it was clear, number three, it's important to ask the question, where does the story and the point of its, uh, that it is making relate to the larger theme being discussed. Parables are not meant to stand alone. You don't study a parable outside of the context of what Jesus is teaching. They're the punch points. They're the things that are to like grab you and go, oh, that's the application. That's what makes sense now. Finally, not everything in the story has a meaning. Sometimes what's in the story is just there to frame the main point. My professors used to say, you don't make it walk on all legs. The pot didn't mean something, and the, and the hinge on the gate didn't mean something. And the, it's, it's the story, it's the point, it's the larger picture that we're dealing with in par- at parables. So this story, let's go back and dissect this story, okay, for a second. The question that's asked really tells us the point of the story. And it's an indicator to the point of the story. If I'm your master, why don't you obey me? That's the premise. If I'm really your master, then why don't you obey me? In particular, the new life I have just described to you, and he described in detail what that new life would look like. Remember, we, we choked on that. We didn't like what that looked like. We didn't like what that sounded like because it sounds like I'm being taken advantage of. But that's not God's view. The broader context is that Jesus is describing is the new code of conduct expected to flow out of our new nature that we've received as his followers. Truth is, if you have a new nature, new things will be happening. That's the broader context that this is a picture of. Thirdly, the problem addressed is that of people who want to be known as followers but who do have no intention of following the new code of conduct. It's not talking about the struggle between the new nature and the old nature. It's not talking about people who are trying to follow Jesus and are coming up short. We all come up short. It's talking about the person who wants to identify and be at the party, but they don't want to be a part of it. And what's required? Fourthly, If you're a true follower, you will do the things he has asked you to do, and your faith will stand firm in the torrent of life's problems and trials. You will make it through. And fifthly, if you are a follower in name only, you will not walk in obedience, and your faith will not survive the hard things of life. There's lots of conversation about believing in God and believing in the Bible and believing things. But it says in James that the demons believe and tremble. Belief in is not the same as belief on and putting your faith and trust into. And that is where Jesus is driving the bus this morning when all those disciples were hanging about and he had just picked the 12 and he described a new kind of life that seemed bizarre. And it began to sift 
like wheat is sifted from chaff, those who were there for the party and those who had put their faith and were calling him Lord and Master. Put down here, in order to enter into our world, we need to look at the world through Jesus' eyes. And how do we do that? That means living life out of the new nature that we've been given. And embracing it. And embracing him. That's how we're to enter our world. Stand here in verse 36. It's talking about being merciful, just as our Father is merciful. And 37 talks about not judging others and, and not condemning them. And, uh, and, and, and then we will not be judged or condemned. Now, what, is ex- what exactly uh, does this mean? Who, who will judge or condemn or not judge or not condemn us? I think there's a couple of levels going on there, Marco. I think practically speaking that if you are a person who is, is not uh, judgmental, and this is talking about motives, Again, we're not discerning actions. If somebody comes up to you with an axe and looks like they're going to plant it between your, you know, your shoulder blades, I mean, you're, you're supposed to judge what's going on or discern what's going on around you. But this is dealing more with, uh, with the, the, the judging intents and, and motives of people. And so if you're that kind of a person who's always um, coming up with you know, a person's intent or motive or reading into it, you've know, heard about reading in between the lines, reading around the lines. Well, if you're that kind of person, then people will begin to do that around you. I think the other level, though, is that we find out in John, especially talks about this in 1 John, that if we are not a forgiving person, if we don't have a a heart that is open and a heart that is non-judgmental, then it means that God hasn't done a work in our lives. God's influence, the Holy Spirit living in me, should affect me to the point where I begin to behave and live differently. And so if I'm coming across in a critical hearted, not a critical mind, but a critical heart, a judgmental heart, that means that there's nothing been changed in me. I am the same old person, and I really need to then question, has God's saving work taken place in my life? Well, I think I'd like to piggyback upon that and... uh... And let's say there has not been a change in the life of one of our friends, a family member, maybe the person we sit next to in church. It kind of seems like a sensitive subject. How can we just... You sit next to your wife, so I'd be careful about that. Okay, the other side, that guy, you know. Okay, I know him. uh, Yeah. So how can we actually discuss this matter with those in our midst, the ones who call themselves followers of Christ, when... If we bring up the subject, it might actually look like we're judging them. But then on the other hand, if we don't bring it up, then we're just letting them live a, live a lie. Well, that's James. James tells us that there's necessity that when we see a brother or a sister in sin that we don't just pass it over. We, we enter in and we bring that to their attention. The other piece is that if you use God's word, then it's not you bringing it up, it's God's Word bringing it up. And so you can ask forthright this, way. you can ask that question. Maybe it needs to be forthright. And so that's kind of where, where I love your personality, Marco. You're very, like, to the point, straight to it. 
uh, kind of a no-nonsense person. I think there's a time for that. But it's God's Word. You bring God's Word to the front. You bring God's Word to ask the question, and you say, you know, Bob, I haven't seen it. Here's how you're behaving. Here's how you're acting. According to Scripture, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and this is something that is, it's not an oops in your life. It's a full bore all the time. It, it's, it's your character. That's how I think you approach that, Marco. Thanks very much. You also said near the end that uh, as followers of Christ, we need to follow the new code of conduct. Now, personally, I got I have a hard time following everything my boss tells me to do. I'm not breaking any laws or anything, but I, it's it's tough for me now. Now I'm thinking that perhaps for me to to do everything God would have me do would pretty much be impossible so what i what i'd like to know is what role does the holy spirit play in in this Hmm. yeah that's a good question marco that but here's here's the deal god knows that you and i um are pretty thick some days and so jesus called that the law of christ the law of love love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and body and strength and then he said the second is like this Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I can't love God without the Holy Spirit. John tells me that without the Holy Spirit, I don't even know that I need God. I can't even connect with God. And so for the very first relationship, the very first part of the law of love, I need the Holy Spirit to do a regenerating, which means kind of like rebuilding, renovating work in my heart. And then the second, loving my neighbor as myself, I need the Holy Spirit. Two, again, we go over this over and over again, but this whole idea of convincing, convicting, teaching, guiding, coming alongside me without the Holy Spirit prompting me and moving me along, I will remain self-centered, and it's through the Holy Spirit that I move from self-centeredness to other-centeredness, and that's where the change really begins to take place. Thanks again, Stan. As always, it's to spend time with you that's it for us tonight if something about the program has piqued your interest please feel free to visit us and and see what we're like live our worship service begins every sunday at 10 30 a.m we're located at 112 spadina road west and if you visit us at evangel community church on the first sunday of each month we'd like to invite you to stay and have lunch with us so call jesus master do the things he asks and remember, don't end your day without a word with God. Here it comes a brand new day, but I don't know what will come my way. Rise or fall, your love will see me through it all. One pursuit of me and challenge like your word directs me to what's right and spurs me on right through the fight. The promise of new life